Hello, welcome to Books Baby, reading the rainbow and the occasional straight white man. Content warning, this podcast may discuss spoilers related to the book we'll be discussing and there may be some trigger warnings as well. Please check the program notes for further details. Hello, welcome to Books Baby, the podcast where we are reading The Rainbow and the occasional straight white man. Welcome to our first episode of season two. I'm Ian, and as always, I'm joined by Alonzo, Jamie, and Bev. Hey guys, how are you? Hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome back to season two. I'm going to start off by asking you guys about your 2023 reading goals. Does it, are you goal setters? Are you mood readers? What, what do you like to do? Jamie, let's start with you. Oh gosh, as I'm sure we all know by now, uh, listeners included, I'm a mood reader. Can't convince me out of it. So naturally I've made no goals for the year. I, although I'm, I'm going to riff off of Ian's one that was on Instagram, which is I'm going to read more of the books I actually own. But that was sort of in effect already. So that's my only goal for the year. How that's about you, Bev? Um, I set the same goal every year, actually. It's just 50 books. Uh, last year, I think I stopped at 49. I just, there was one more book to go and I just, I was like, eh, gave up. Close <laughs> so we'll enough. see how we go. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> Round up. Um, we'll see how we go this year. I For this year, I think I will be, as always, reading more of my backlist. I have a lot of books. And I think there was a really good list from Electric Literature. So it was a list of, um, I think it was like BIPOC authors to look out for um, in 2023. So I want to take off a couple from that list as well. And that's it for my goals. Hello. I normally tend to set a goal of the number of years that I will be turning that year. So this this year, my goal is 37. Yeah, no surprise. I'm almost 40. I thought you were 21. Uh, it's all, all the water that I drink and all the creams <laughs> that I put on my face every night. <laughs> But no, I'm thirty. I'm turning thirty-seven. Seven. It's in working. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's my reading goal. And I also like to do. I'm a bit of a ritualistic person, and I like in January. I normally start the, the year reading Murakami, but this year I decided to change that and start with a Nobel Prize winner that I haven't read before. So this year I started with the Nobel Prize winner for 2021, which is who is called Abdul Sarak Gurna, African-born British writer, which I absolutely love. And then in March, I only read women authors, just because it's women's day and celebrate women. What about you, Jan? Well, I'm a serial goal setter. I cannot live without goals, but I'm trying really hard this year. So I'm trying to become a mood reader because sometimes I set myself too many goals and then I get really stressed, especially towards the end of the year when I'm I'm like, oh no, I still have to read five classics and two Booker Prize winners. And uh, so this year I'm trying to just mood read and read the things that I already have on my shelves, but I am also reading War and Peace, a chapter a day through the, which I think you're doing as well, aren't you, Allo? So that's a little bit of a goal. And I was thinking of setting myself a project as opposed to a goal. 
of reading all of Christos Chalkis's books uh, in publication order. But maybe that could be a multi-year goal. I don't have to just complete that in one year. I just want to read them all. And um, yeah, I've been enjoying reading a lot of Elizabeth Strout over summer. So I kind of thought it's nice to do a deep dive into an author. I like that idea about an author going through all their work. And I absolutely adore Christoph Tiolskas. So I'm all for that project. Yeah. We might have to do a buddy read at some point there. Absolutely, yes. So before we move on to our main topic, which is Elizabeth Strout, um, I just wanted to say thanks to all of our listeners who've been interacting with us. We love getting your messages and getting a bit of a discussion going because, of course, we all love talking about books, which is why we're here. So if you want to comment on anything that we've been talking about, any of our podcasts, you can get in touch with us at our Instagram, which is at booksbabypod. Or we also have our email, which is booksbabypod at gmail.com. So just a little shout out today to Leo's Little Book Life on Instagram, who's been interacting with us quite a lot. Uh, at the end of last year, we had a, uh, a show about our favourite books of the year, our most surprising books of the year, our least favourite books of the year. Uh, and Leo's comment on our post about the most surprising book was really interesting. He said his favourite, oh, the most surprising book he read last year was A Passage to India by E.M. Forster. He said, it's a famous novel, of course, but it surprised me more than I expected how it is an anti-colonial novel and shows how the British occupiers utterly failed to connect to the complex diversity of the Indian people, a much more powerful novel than I thought it to be. I love that insight. Thanks, Leo. I am hoping to read A Passage to India this year. I do love Forster's works. I've read almost all of them, but I've been saving A Passage to India to last because I kind of thought it's sort of his magnum opus, isn't it? I kind of want to finish with that one rather than start. What do you guys think? Have you read any Forster? I started reading Maurice mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit, but I think I wasn't in the mood and I did not finish, uh, but I am intending to read it at some point. It's definitely year. worth going back to that one. Yeah. A Room with a Views is E.M. Forster, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that book. And then I think Howard's End, it was a... Howard's End is great. Yeah. Double That's billing. so far. Yeah. I had a double billing. It was all in one book. Um, and I loved it. So A Passage to India. I might have to do what you're doing. I love the concept of a project Ian and just go back and um, read Ian Foster's books because he's yeah, so... Just pick an author that you want to deep dive yeah. into. He's so funny. I find I'm yeah. so <laughs> usually scattered all over the place. I want to read a bit of everything. So mm. really focusing is kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. What about you, Jamie? I have not read any. I had to look up <laughs> his books to like make sure I hadn't read any of like uni and stuff, but I haven't. Uh, um, a Room with a View has been on my TBR list for quite a number of years now, though, so I should probably get to that. Um, he's like, he's my... quite readable. Like, you know, often you think of, of classics and think, oh, it's going to be really wordy and dense, but it's actually not like that at all. It's really approachable uh, and really Ooh. interesting because he talks about the social issues of his time. That'll be good. Yeah, I'm like too classic out from uni. Like they just give yeah. us the most random ones that I just don't like really like engage with. So by the time I get through that, I'm like, I don't want to read anymore for the year. I don't want to see another classic. That's completely <laughs> understandable. All right, so on to our main topic of the day. We are talking about Elizabeth Strout's writing. And I think this sort of began because a few of us read O. William when it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize last year. And that's the third book in the Lucy Barton series. And then we really liked it. So we wanted to find out a bit more about this Lucy Barton character. <laughs> and so some of us have gone back to the first Lucy Barton book, My Name is Lucy Barton. I've also read the second book, Anything is Possible. 
Jamie's the only one of us who's only read O. William. So today we're mostly focusing on O. William, but we might sort of go off on quite a few tangents into other Elizabeth Strout novels. So let me tell you, if you don't know anything about Lucy Barton, here's the blurb about O. William. Lucy Barton is a writer, but her ex-husband William remains a hard man to read. William, she confesses, has always been a mystery to me. Another mystery is why the two have remained connected after all these years. So Lucy is both surprised and not surprised when William asks her to join him on a trip to investigate a recently uncovered family secret. One of those secrets that rearranges everything we think we know about the people closest to us. In the story that follows, we learn more about the quiet forces that hold us together, the fears and insecurities, the simple joys and acts of tenderness, even after we've grown apart. So for me, what I love so much about these books is the characters. I think Strout is just amazing at writing really realistic characters, uh, flawed characters and believable characters. What do you think, Jamie? So, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ian. Um, in O. William, I did find, like, the characters to be, like, so flawed, but I think it makes them so human and connectable for us as readers because you see the flaws in them, you see they're not these like perfect God status characters by any means of the imagination. And they're relatable because they struggle with things and they've got personality flaws in how they might, I think like one of the best examples is probably how William uh, has just gone through relationships of all sorts of kinds um, because he is like so flawed and he knows he's flawed, but he can't get beyond that because he's so like dedicated to his work and he puts that above like everything else. And then like Lucy will like point it out to him and be like, well, like maybe if you took a step back. Um, but then she knows she's flawed because of like her own past and the trauma associated with that. And it's good that they have this like sort of like retrospective thing. Like they're like, oh, this didn't work because I'm flawed in this way. And I think it's good because like on a human to human level, it's like I think most of us examine our own flaws at some point in terms of how it affects um, our relationships or the choices we make. And so Strout really just connects to the human emotions that we all feel, I think for me at least, puts that into her writing and, like, that's why I liked it so much. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's like the human condition, isn't it? Mm. And I think that Lucy, particularly in the first and third novels, like, she's narrating and she's she's quite self-aware, isn't she? And even when she's not self-aware, she's aware that she's not self-aware, if that makes sense. She knows her flaws, like you say, and having grown up with so much trauma, it's really interesting the way that Strout brings that in, but in a really subtle way. Did anyone else think that it was amazing how dark some of the themes were and yet how light the novel was? Absolutely. Yeah. I found that was part of the complexity of this novel and the, the two novels that I've read uh, about Lucy and particularly about this character and how Stroud managed to bring the human condition into the daily life. They're not novels in which lots of things is happening, but at the same time, these characters are a whole universe lives within them, that everything is happening with, with them. And the way in which she brings the past to, to what they're going through and how that affects them. It's just beautiful. And she does it in a, in a very, very poetic way that she creates this sense of intimacy around what she's describing and the characters it, itself. I think that's, yeah, that's really interesting. It makes me think about all the other books that we've read that have, you know, you know how we love a trauma-filled book and how a different writer like Strout is able to take that <clears throat> sorry, take that and 
as you said, Ian, infuse it with a sort of lightness that you barely even notice it. There is not so much, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not particularly sentimental. It is sometimes like quite a, uh, but it's not scientific either. It's, it's like a, it's like a, somebody kind of looking very intently at a, like a miniature and trying to find everything they can possibly know about it, which I think, I think brings out that intimacy that you're talking about, Alo. I, I like that analogy of the, the miniature. It sort of feels very like Strout's drawing these brush strokes, which are so delicate and fine. Um, and, and you're so focused on the overall thing that sometimes you don't notice the delicacy of the work, if that makes sense, because it's so readable. You just sort of keep turning pages and, and you're enjoying just being in Lucy's company. Um, and then you're like, wow, actually, this is quite like dark. The way you describe it, Beb, is great because I actually wrote a comment on my notes that is like, it's impressive how she creates images with words. And it's very funny because it's not necessarily that she is describing a room or a landscape or anything, but the way in which she writes about things and feelings makes it so palpable, if that's a word in English. Do you think, Hello, that that's because uh, it feels so, these characters feel so constructed through ordinary daily life? Yes, I think that that's the, the, that's the thing that makes these novels feel so close to the people who read, read them, or at least that what worked for me. Like I, I felt like we've all gone through um, breakups and the way in which she describes the breakup or how she managed to have a relationship with her former partner is through the daily life details particularly with the mother i i found that i obviously read my name is lucy barton more recently uh, so i have it fresher in my mind and the way in which she's just like i need my mom how she's happy that her mom goes to the hospital and stays with her while she's there she does it through the little details and she thinks to herself like i need my mom but it's also like Oh, seeing her, not sleeping, just sitting there, looking after me. It's what I needed. And tells those little things tell you so much about who are these characters and why are they the way they are. Yeah, that's so well put. Thanks, Alo. I think that um, the, the interesting thing about Lucy is that she has so much backstory. And in each of the novels, you kind of just get a little bit of some of the hints, like some of the... You know, in O. William, it's really about her relationship with her ex-husband, William, and the way that that's developed over many, many years. And even though they're separated, they have two daughters in common. Um, I'm sure we can all think of, of people like that that are older and, and um, have that kind of relationship. But it's really interesting how they've remained friends and how that's changed their relationship. She says some great things about her memory of being married and how suffocating that was for her. And that really rang true to me, this feeling of that you can not want to live with someone and be their wife, but you can still see their good qualities and still want to be in their life. And the same with her mother in the first book, how there was a lot of trauma when she was growing up, but she still wanted her mum there when she was unwell. Yeah. I, I, did you think, Bev, that um, it was interesting the way that there were these depictions of women. Uh, you don't normally see women of Lucy's age, you know, represented so much in, in popular culture. 
Um, but this felt such an authentic depiction of an older woman. Yeah, Ian, and I think we should have more characters like Lucy in literature and as well as representation on screen. I am actually kind of surprised that this series took off as it did, but you can, I think you can see, you know, a lot of readers are, you know, in book clubs and things really want to have people that they relate to. And I think O. William was particularly interesting because it was, um, it was a pandemic novel and it was a pandemic novel where it focused, you know, so slowly on, I guess a third or fourth act of someone's life, which I feel like we didn't really get that much of um, in the sort of second or third wave of um, pandemic literature and film that we're getting now. So it was cool to see Lucy and William, as you said, having, you know, gone through the marriage, gone through the kids, um, her leaving because she couldn't stand his cheating anymore. And then coming back to the same point when William is having a little bit of a, I guess, well, he's sick and he's having a little bit of a crisis. And Lucy also having a, I guess, changing character, like the showing that you are constantly shifting, constantly uncertain about yourself and at no matter what age you are. And then I think the second part that was interesting to me, like sitting at, you know, Lucy's age and sitting at William's age, that you could actually go back and look at patterns in your life. And I thought the book was a really interesting examination of like what patterns we repeat and what we don't, because I think in the in the novel, William goes on kind of like he's gifted like an ancestry set and then he goes off and you know finds his half-sister. And then he it unravels that spoiler alert anyway, that you know, he's been abandoned before, and then that sort of like repeats in his life, or three of his wives walk out on him. So I thought that was like an interesting um, sort of thing that you don't really get to do when you focus on against younger people because you're starting out you're making mistakes for the first time and for this one it's kind of having lived and being able to look back at your mistakes and look back at like your parents mistakes etc and then trying to find and come to some of conclusion and deciding whether to change or not I think that's a really interesting sort of question to ask that we yeah like I would love to see more of from anyone really I couldn't agree more i I read a few years ago Charlotte Wood's book, The Weekend, which was about four older, I think it was I four love that one. older yeah. ladies and, you know, going off. They've been friends for, for decades and they, they go to a, a beach house for a retreat. And it sounds, you know, like a very simple plot, but this, the, the dynamics of their relationship that's built up over years and years and years, you just don't see representations of that nearly enough. I find it so fascinating. Like you say, there's lots of stories about people show. making mistakes for the first time, but, but not seeing those patterns again and again. Yes, and it also shows that life is probably the same at any stage in life. It's just how we've been taking in those experiences and reflect on them. And I think that the character of Lucy shows that really well, in which she's always self-reflecting and finding those patterns that, like when you say, when you make the mistakes for the first time, you don't have anything to compare those mistakes with to figure out that you're starting to build up a pattern. Jamie, as the youngest member of our cohort, how did you feel about, you know, these these older, I guess the older lady, the older couple kind of relationships? Were you invested in it or was it a bit like, mm? I think I sat somewhere in between. I was invested in it in terms of a deep dive character analysis, which essentially is how I found the book to be, which I quite like in like literary novels. But at points I was like a little bit like annoyed or like irritated by it because they keep coming back to like, uh, like William, oh, he's a serial cheater. And it's like, 
cool, but he's in his 70s now. So it's not so hip and cool to be like a serial cheater in like your 70s. Yeah, I guess for me it Is was it hard. Is it cool to be like, a serial cheater at any age? I mean, no, let's just <laughs> put that out there. Like, <laughs> it's not cool just, let us like, know, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cool in your 20s, I can promise uh, you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, and so, no, I think it's more like because when he was married to Lucy, what was that? Maybe 20 years, I think, something like that before this novel. So, like, I think they split up in their 50s-ish. She's a few years younger than him. Or late 40s, early 50s, somewhere around there, I think they split up. And from how Strout wrote it, it was more like forgivable because he was younger. But now that he's doing it and his wife is a lot younger still, like, it's like she expected more of him, like his wife, his current wife slash ex-wife Estelle expected more from him and to grow from that because he is older adult years um like has he not learned by now I guess is the question posed through that um for me so I guess that was sort of like irritating because it's like yes it's a flaw but it's also like a really serious flaw and it was I don't know sort of odd because you don't often read books about older men and women and especially older men and women who have lives beyond their children and grandchildren as they're so often characterized because they're not from what I've seen in more recent years I've not seen a lot of books where like they're the main characters like there's a few um around obviously but like this like series like focuses on that especially in the later books which is interesting even as a 20 something year old good I'm glad you you did find things in there that you you got out of it I think that it sort of goes back to what Bev said actually that you, you see these patterns repeating throughout life. And I think that's what I found interesting too with William making those same mistakes again and again. And yes, it was frustrating, but also I think that's what people are like. They don't change as they get older, they just become more the same. Which sort of is how I was able to connect with the characters, even though that they're not the same age as me or around the age that I am. It's I feel like they're so human that you can reflect on them. Like, oh, I have patterns that I have picked off myself that I want to change and there are other patterns that I know that I have but that I'm just looking to the other way because I'm not ready to change them and I feel like that's a little bit with what happens with William and Lucy on the other hand which is like oh there's these patterns that I probably need to start changing. I think Lucy's a bit more self-aware than William as well. Yes, sort of, for sure. You know, that, that typical bury his head in the sand kind of man. I don't want to know about these things. <laughs> So going back a little bit to the first novel, uh, the main focus of that was the mother-daughter relationship. Um, so did anyone have any interesting thoughts about Lucy and her mother that they'd like to share? I really love how the relationship was built up through Lucy being in the hospital and then the mother being again in her life, sort of the caregiver, like when she was a child. I thought that that showed a lot about both characters, particularly because at the beginning of the novel, and this is not a spoiler alert because it's happens at first, you learn that they haven't seen each other for a quite number of, of years. So she's impressed that the mother is being there. It it shows how their relationship is very complicated, but at the same time, it shows that no matter how awful your relationship is with your mother, your mother is always a comfort place having your mom there always feels like being on a safe place that's such a nice way to put it yeah I think yeah I don't know like I, I haven't finished um my name is Lucy Barton but you know given how like it begins with kind of awfully and she has such immense sort of a loneliness growing up in her childhood I almost wonder whether like, 
is the mother more of like a concept, you know, rather than the actual mother. Like it's supposed to be a safe place, supposed to be a warm place. Um, and when you don't get it, you try and get it through different means. The other perspective that I was really interested in as well was, um, so I guess we are looking in Lucy Barton, like from a daughter's perspective of what the mothers should be doing. But it was interesting in, because I picked up Olive, how it explores the mother and then child relationship from the perspective of the mother. Because I think um, in literature, you often, you are trying to like, and it's very rightly you're trying to unspool, you know, what your parents have like hurt, how they've hurt you, how they've changed you, why you are the way you are. But I like the perspective of, you know, how having children can also change you, how they damage you. And that's not emotionally explored that much, which I found really fascinating. And I think kind of like summed up by this quote, I was rewatching fully back, but um, there is like a very short exchange between the father and daughter in that one as well, where the father goes, they always talk about how daughters always talk about how fathers um, fuck them up, but they don't really say how um having daughters fuck up their fathers as well and I was like yeah we don't really talk about that perspective and you know sometimes like maybe that's lost in that conversation which I like um strap for bringing that up and weaving such you know insight into it yeah she is so incredible there are so many things that she writes about with such empathy that you don't often see. I was thinking about poverty. She writes about mm. these very poor characters from, from a small town. And particularly in the second book, Anything is Possible, uh, where it's not told from Lucy's point of view, but more focuses on all these individual residents or people who used to reside in Amgash. Uh, where Lucy grew up. So some of them are her relatives, some of them are just people that she went to school with, and most of them are quite poor or grew up poor, but then move out into the world and their poverty affects, their poverty as children affects the way that they see the world. And just like you see from Lucy, you know, she grew up not having television and so she doesn't understand the cultural references that people make when she goes to university. And I think that results in her always feeling a little bit alienated from everyone around her. And that's not something that you often see dealt with, with such respect and care. I think whether it's in, in literature or in television or movies. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a, a big stigma around poverty. So when it's it's addressed in films or literature, it's always through the stereotypes or the poor are really good, 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 or the poor suffer, suffer, suffer. Whether, as you mentioned, Ian, I think um, Stroud addressed this issue with so much empathy and shows how poverty is an issue that constructs our identities or income is part of how we discover the world and how we, we step into the world. And I found it very palpable, particularly in the relationships that Lucy made, for example, with her family once she became a more wealthy woman, how they resent a little bit of her and that's how their relationship broke, but also how her mother-in-law, uh, William's mom, doesn't quite accept her. It's always thinking of her as this country poor girl who won't understand about fashion or etiquette and all these things. And it's done in a very, very beautiful way, very far from making fun of that or stigmatizing that, which I, I think it's a brilliant way to bring this into the table. And I think that's the perfect way to wrap up our discussion on Elizabeth Stroud. All right, before we wrap up, today's podcast it's time for all of us to say what we're excited to read next what's sitting on our to be red pile screaming at us to be picked up Allo, what are you excited to read next i'm excited to read a book that it's been for a couple of months in my shelf thanks to Bev. 
which is how the one armed sister swept her house by a Caribbean author called Cherry Jones. And I think it, the book was shortlisted for the Women's Prize Fiction in 2021. And I think it's a great option for March, which is the month that I only read female authors. Fantastic. What about you, Bev? I'm also reading a book gifted. I can't remember who gave me now. The Book of Goose by one okay. of you. Ah, thank you. And I also just found the bookmark that you put in. <laughs> I didn't realize this was in before. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, and it's by Ian Lee. So it sounds like it's about a very complicated friendship between um, two friends set between America and France. So very intrigued about what's going to happen in that book. Jamie. Well, staying true to my word for once in my life, um, I am... Going on an Isabel Allende like deep dive this year. So I just finished Paola. Oh gosh, depressing to say the least. Um, we'll get into it another time. So I'm hoping to read soon. Um, I think it's called The Long Petal of the Sea. Aloe gifted me for Christmas. So thank you, Aloe. Yeah, looking forward to reading it. Um, she does mention part of the history behind how she wrote that book um, in Paola. And so I'm really interested to read more about it. What about you, Ian? I think Isabella Lendo is fast becoming one of your favourite authors, Jamie, and I know that she's Alonzo's favourite. So she's getting up there. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're going to do a deep dive into Isabella Lende at some point in 2023. Um, oh, look, I've got so many that are sitting on my shelf screaming at me that sometimes I have to close the doors so I can't see them. But uh, I think... The one that's most calling me at the moment is The Secret History by Donna Tartt because I'm a little bit ashamed that I have never read it. And, you know, a little a little strange little quirk of mine, you know, being an Instagrammer, I like to take the photos of the books before I read them so there's no creases in the spine or on the cover or anything and I don't spill tea on them or whatever. So I've taken the photo. That means it has to be read now. It's time. It's going to happen. All right. It's been a joy talking with all of you, as always. So we'll be back in March. March has, on the 8th of March, it is International Women's Day. So to celebrate that, we're going to be making sure that we read lots of female authors, but particularly we're going to be talking about the woman who won the, the title of the winner of the, the best of the best of the Women's Prize in 2020. And that's Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie and her classic novel, Half of a Yellow Sun. So until then, may all your reading bring you delight. May every book be wonderful, and we look forward to seeing you next time. The book's baby theme music was written by Paul Smith and performed by Paul Smith and Ian Sykes. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We pay our respects to Indigenous elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land.